because I say with scruffing them, we're kind of proving them guilty before innocent. We're just like, kind of like if you were at the nurse getting your blood drawn and you were already nervous and then bars went up on your chair, you would go from green to red instantly. And that's what doing a scruff is. Join us as we chat to amazing cat explorers and experts, learn from them, listen to their war stories, celebrate their wins, and laugh at the funny moments that have been a part of their journey. Welcome to the Cat Explorer Podcast. I'm Asara. And I'm Daniel. I find that when we speak to cat behaviorists, vets, and vet techs on this podcast, I just learn so much. And today I'm so excited for you because you're about to learn so much too. But before we jump in, we'd love to say a huge thank you to the Cat Explorer producers who have made this episode happen. And a special thank you to our co-producers for Season 7. Roxy the Kitty, Ziggy and Charlie, Luna Misty Blue, Adami, Mac, Patch and Ava, and Bowie the Siberian. If you love what Cat Explorer does and you'd love to support us, we'd love it if you could join the Cat Explorer Purse Squad. You can find more details about that in the episode description of your podcasting app. Today's review is from the lovely Colleen and Adventures of Cat Sawyer. The Cat Explorer podcast is a treasure trove of information, resources, and support for individuals who want to enrich the lives of their cat. Every episode, I learn something new about cat health and well-being, and of course, cat exploring for my Cat Explorer Sawyer. Pick and choose episodes that interest you, or listen all the way through. You really can't go wrong. Thank you so much for that lovely review, Colleen. We really do appreciate it. If you'd like to leave a review for the Cat Explorer podcast, there's instructions in the episode description of your podcasting app. We're so excited for today's chat, diving into fear-free, helping our cats' behavior, science-based training methods, and so much more. And don't fear if some of these terms sound like mumbo-jumbo to you. Till we started researching for today's chat, that's what some of them sounded like to us. Tabitha Kusera is an elite, fear-free, and low-stress handling certified registered veterinary technician. She's the owner of Chirps and Chatter Cat and Dog Behavior Consulting and Training in Cleveland, Ohio. She's been working with cats for over 10 years. From her work with rescues, she noticed that cats tend to be abandoned and euthanized due to behavioral issues. So now, Tabitha is dedicated to helping people understand and find solutions for these behavioral challenges. While doing so, she also helps people develop a better relationship with their pets. Welcome to the podcast, Tabitha. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. We're so excited to chat to you. And wow, my brain was blown while I was researching for this episode. <laughs> so perhaps we can dive straight in. So what does Fear Free mean? So Fear Free is an initiative that ha- was started, I believe, six or seven years ago. Um, and there was also a field called, uh, initiative called Low Stress Handling by Dr. Sophia Yin, who unfortunately isn't with us anymore. And that was 10 to 15 years ago. And basically, we're really great as veterinary professionals at treating your animal's physical issues. So your animal needs a nail trim, we get it done. Um, Your animal's not feeling well, we get the blood work and the diagnostics to to find the diagnosis and resolve the issue or manage the issue. But we haven't been as great at treating the animal's emotional state. So for example, we get it done. And now we know that whole getting it done, like, hey, just 
scruff and stretch the cat, even though they're showing severe fear, get it done. Now we know that that actually causes acute and chronic psychological and behavior issues and can cause trauma and things like that. So now we know that there's better ways. So basically Fear Free is all about teaching people, veterinary staff, shelter staff, because they have it for shelters, groomers, trainers, veterinary professionals, it's awesome, on ways to decrease the fear, anxiety, and stress related to veterinary procedures, cutting your cat's nails, all that stuff that we know most cats aren't big fans of. Because now we're like, we understand why they don't like it very much. We, were, we weren't really listening to them. We were kind of just traditionally restraining, like, you're sitting there still, but I'm still going to physically manipulate your body, even though I could have just let you sit there, but we were taught to just go grab the cat. Um, so I understand why most cats don't like the vet, but we want cats to love the vet. And that's what Fear Free is all about, addressing the physical and emotional well-being of animals. Huh. Wow. <laughs> that's a, it's sort of like a mind-blown concept for us when we first learned about it, and like Asara said. So do you have any advice on how we can create a fear-free, happy home? So that's a heavy question. <laughs> Usually what I would start with is by providing an enriched environment for your cat, and that should provide various types of scratching surfaces, outlets for predatory and prey behavior. And what I mean by that, I love cats, but they're little killers, and we need to allow them to use those behaviors. I'm not saying bring in mice, because I love mice, but you can bring in fake mice. Like, my cats only eat out of puzzle toys, so toys where they work to get their food. They don't eat out of bowls, for example. So all of that natural hunting behavior that they do outside, they can do in my home safely. And also wand toy play, for example. So I have a deburred toy with a wand because we don't pet our cats when we're playing with them because when we're playing with a cat, we're simulating their prey behavior cycle. So that's like your cat hunting a mouse and you being like, pet, pet, and then us getting like, why did they bite me? Um, so wand toy play is another way to allow them to have that predatory outlet to chase, kill, do those beautiful movements that they do when they stretch and catch the feather. They need to do those things. And there's a lot of ways we can do that without being like, hey, here's this real bird. Um, and toys have came so far in the last few years, which is awesome. So it's all about providing outlets for predatory and prey behavior, safe places. So hiding places throughout the house that isn't necessarily under a bed, but instead is like a cat carrier or a paper bag without the handles. I mean, you guys know cats love boxes. It doesn't have to be expensive. And then basically the environment to respect all five of your cat's senses. And that provides an environment in which the animal has a variety, choice, and control, some control of their daily activities. And as you can imagine, by providing our cats with variety and sense of control, just like with our lives, it really helps to reduce stress overall and keep them happier. That's, that's so very true. Um, I read about fear-friendly handling of our cats. What does that mean? Okay, so feline-friendly handling, fear-free handling, low-stress handling, they all are words that kind of fall into this feline-friendly handling concept. And that's just a way to describe all cats are individuals. And when it comes, as we all know, but for example, I was taught one restraint for all cats. That is absurd because <laughs> we all know cats are individuals, but then we're like, we're, treat, we're handling them each the same. 
So feline friendly handling is all about assessing the cat that is in front of me, reviewing their body language, assessing their body language because they communicate with us and we really need to learn that body language. And then I'm flexible with my handling techniques based on that cat's individual preference. So I allow the cat to maintain its chosen position and I vary my touch with the cat's response. So for example, if the cat's comfortable in their carrier, I'm just gonna take the carrier off the top and I'm gonna examine them there. There's really no need for me to physically manipulate the cat out, move the carrier. That just spent five more minutes and now the poor cat is really stressed when I could have just kept them in the position they chose to be in. And then also it's all about considering the pet's point of view. So I set up the environment to be less stressful. I use considerate approach. And then of course I use those gentle handling or gentle control techniques. And so the one technique that we all know and, you know, tend to handle our cats with, you're talking about scruffing our cats. Is that right? So that's the traditional restraint. Like as a veterinary technician, that's what I was taught. That was that one restraint that I was taught. And that's not a technique that I use anymore. And I haven't used in in over five years. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because I've read a few articles that you've written about scruffing our cats. And it like that was one of the things that blew my mind because as a child, that was the first thing my mom ever taught me was like, if she's like, if a cat ever gets aggressive, you just scruff the neck. And I think that was the first thing I taught you as well, Daniel. And it's the first thing most people are taught. Yeah, exactly. So why shouldn't we be scruffing our cats? So scruffing, like you said, it's something that people commonly are told to do. I was told as a vet tech. And especially if your cat's exhibiting fear and stress, the worst thing to do realistically is to physically manipulate them and not give them a choice to move or leave. Um, So now we know a lot more about scruffing because, again, we know better, do better, and we call it practicing medicine for a reason. We're always improving and getting better. So although I was taught that technique, we now know that that technique actually escalates fear and stress in most cats. So that was really mind-opening to me because I was like, no wonder so many cats dislike handling and restraint because we're not assessing their body language. We're not working with that specific cat. We're just going up to the cat and physically manipulating them and holding them still. So understandably, that does cause some escalation in fear and stress. And a lot of us are like, but their mother cats do it, for example. I think that's where a lot of it came from. So cats are only grabbed by their scruff in very limited circumstances. So to start by their mother during their first few weeks of life, so the mother picks the kittens up by their scruff because they aren't vocal, like they can't see or hear when they're first born. So that's how she moves them. And they have something called a flexor reflex that's only around for the first few weeks of life. So what happens is the mother grabs the cat and the cat may, I don't like go limp, but the cat may be like, okay, cool, I'm chilling here. And that's what I think people saw a very, very long time ago and perceived as this causes the cat to stay still. Um, I understand where they got that concept. Um, But the thing is, I always joke when I'm lecturing and I say, who's a cat? And no one raises their hand Um, because a cat can hold a mouse without hurting it. So first off, the, the mother cat is only using, grabbing the kittens by the scruff during the first few weeks of life, which people are using that as a justification to scruff cats for their entire life. So obviously there's a, Big disconnect there, but also we're not cats. 
So even when the mother cats are scruffing the cats with their mouth, they are very precise with where their teeth are, what pressure they're using. And I'll be honest, as a vet tech, I would start to grab and hold. And if they move, hold tighter. And now I'm like, that makes so much sense why cats strongly dislike restraint. <laughs> like now that I know more. And then the other reasons when cats are usually scruffed are during mating, while fighting, or when they're being attacked by a predator. So like a hawk, for example. And I always joke, there's really no reason for us to simulate any of those things in a home or veterinary setting. And when people hear that, they're like, huh, that makes sense. Um, but again, that's a lot of us were taught to scruff. So that's the only thing we know. And then when the cat moves, we're taught hold tighter, which again, it causes a lot of stress when we first start due to the fact that they can't escape and cats do everything they can to avoid conflict. Cats are amazing animals, and the last thing they want to do is be aggressive. But when they're giving us, just like a human, if they're giving us tons of signs to please stop, I'm uncomfortable, please stop, please stop, please stop, and we don't recognize it, or we ignore it. In most cases, I love my humans, we don't recognize it, we're not malicious. Uh, that cat has no choice but to bite. Um, but a lot of people say things like the cat bit out of nowhere, which is very seldom the case ever. But again, from the client or vet tech's perspective, they might be like, the cat bit me out of nowhere. You didn't assess the cat's body language. You pulled it out of a carrier without looking at it. I would bite you instantly. <laughs> <laughs> so when we kind of break down scruffing and see the, the common reasons when cats are scruffed, it makes sense that this handling technique causes more stress in cats. And I always say, Who's been bit by a cat? Because I speak to a lot of veterinary professionals. And I'm like, what were you doing? And I could be honest with you. Most of those people were scruffing a cat. Because you don't really have a lot of control. So that's another thing you're taught. Like, I have a lot of control. You really don't. The cat can move its body in all ways. Versus a gentle control technique that I call using a C-hold. Which I'd be happy to share a video with you guys so we can see it. But you basically place your hands around the cat's head gently, no, no grabbing or holding tight or putting force, none of that. And then I place their back end towards my chest and then my arms are on the sides of them. So they could breathe and move because animals aren't statues. They're supposed to move. But I have control of the cat right, left, front, back versus a scruff where I'm like, huh, cat has, first off, it causes fear and stress in most cats. But also, we don't really have a lot of control. So from a safety standpoint, it's not the safest handling technique. Wow. So I know that was a heavy answer. <laughs> loved it. <laughs> so then, yeah, so then with that, was it C-hold you mentioned? That's yes. the technique? Yep. So is that the only technique or are there a couple of different ways you could hold a cat um, under this fear-free uh, approach? So there's a, actually a variety of different handling and restraining cats that don't involve scruffing or if we want heavy restraints. Because I'm sure none of us like, like, for example, I used to sit on dogs. That is horrible, guys. I'm a good person. I'm a good vet tech. But that's what I was taught to do, which now that I know, oh, my gosh, uh, just like holding a kid down for vaccines, that's we're still doing that. But there's no reason to. And that's why I'm 36 and afraid of needles. Uh, in the context of hospitals, because I had that traumatizing event when I was a child. And that's why a lot of cats don't like the vet. So 
when it comes to feline friendly techniques, we basically just take a less is more approach. And usually we assess the cat's body language and we use restraint methods that allow the cats to hide if they are fearful because cats naturally hide as a coping mechanism. So that's where towels, so a lot of different towel restraints, there's over 15 to 20 different towel restraints. And it's a lot more than just throwing a towel over a cat. So just like as a clicker trainer, if you just click a clicker like a remote control because you're not sure of how to use the tool and then say clickers don't work, you weren't using the tool correctly. And to be fair, sometimes placing a towel over a cat simply does help, but there's a lot of technique involved in towel restraints, which is when it comes to fearful cats, I allow them to hide. Like for example, I'll let them stay in their carrier like I mentioned before. I'll place a towel over them and then I'm with them and the vet starts examining them from behind instead of their face because that's really scary. And I have full control of the cat. I'm telling the veterinarian what the cat's doing because cats don't just, again, they don't just bite. They may stiffen up, they may lip lick or do some other displacement behaviors. And if I start to notice that the cat's getting anxious, I change up what I'm doing. I don't hold them tighter because if a doctor held me tighter when I was scared, I would get way more angry and I would bite as a human. And that's not my MO. I'm a very nice person, but don't hold me down. I'm going to, I'm going to panic. I'm going to freak out. Right. And so like you mentioned, we'll put some links to some, some videos regarding those techniques and so forth. Um, in the show notes for everyone to have a look at them because yeah, describing is one thing, visualizing is totally different. And once you see it, you go, wow, like it will, you know, open your mind. So as an example, say we're cat exploring and our cats obsessed to going into tiny spaces or areas that we don't want them to go into because they look dangerous and scary. They they become a little aggressive sometimes and, you know, we don't want to follow them in. So we need to restrain them and move them away. How would you suggest we do that without scruffing them? So in those contexts, when it comes to being outside with your cat and you're at a park or somewhere else where they may get into something small, of course, I'm a big fan of cats exploring different areas, but ideally I would just prevent them from going into that space because if I can't observe them and I don't know what's going on in there, so I'm like, eh, let's just go over here. Um, the other things you can do is something called a targeting behavior. Now, this is something your cat needs to learn prior to being in a place full of stimuli and distractions. Just like you don't fight the black belt first, you have to practice, because this is a clicker training exercise, but you practice it at home and then you can use it to, basically it works to have your cat calm, so as a recall, um, but it can also get your cat to come to you from a distance or if you just want her off of your lap or something, you could ask her to touch your hand instead of physically manipulating her. Um, so a touch or target behavior is basically a cat's body part. Usually we use the nose to touch a finger or a target stick. And basically we use that touch to get them to come out of places. Another thing, which I'm sure everyone has when they're exploring with their cat is high value reinforcers. So that means like, for me, I don't, I'm not going to come out for a salad, especially in a pandemic. Uh, <laughs> you better have beer and burritos and pizza because that's what's reinforcing to me. So again, I'm not talking about your cat's kibble, unless your cat loves the kibble. I'm talking about like churro or whipped cream, good stuff, because 
outside with all this stimuli, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of distractions. So that way you could just say, here, come and use it at, to lure the cat out. So basically luring the cat out with the treat. And people are like, aren't you reinforcing them going into a crevice? No, you're, you're actually reinforcing them disengaging and coming to you. And in that moment, it's normal behavior for your cat to go into a crevice. So I'm not a fan of punishing cats ever, but we definitely don't want to punish your cat for a normal behavior. Um, so I think using a lure or a target behavior, or you can even have a wand toy to, that works as a lure too for in the moment. I'm a big fan of those techniques instead of physically manipulating your cat. Now, if you're like, oh, I can't see my cat, I, I'd much rather have you grab your cat when you can't see it. Because if you go to scruff your cat and you can't see them, I I understand how it may be a normal reflex for that cat to be like a bite. Um, so instead, I would recommend like maybe luring them out and then picking them up, placing them down and then giving them treats. Because then you have a little more control. Because just reaching in, again, I'm not a fan of reaching into carriers either. We take them apart because that's not safe for us or for the cat. So reaching into places and grabbing cats, it's just not the safest thing for sure. That's a good question, though. That makes a lot of sense. And um, so we're recording this in June 2020. So we're in the middle of a pandemic, as you've just said. And um, so a lot of us have been down in lockdown Um we were lucky enough to talk to um, Dr. Michael Delgado a couple of weeks ago, and she talked about trigger stacking. So for those who might not have listened to that episode, that's where your cat um, has a few different things that happen, and then they have a few triggers, and then they become aggressive. And usually when I have this struggle with – I'm going to use Noxie as an example because it's usually her that she does it. She, I think she's had the trigger stacking happen, so for some reason we haven't allowed her to go into private property because – it's private property, but she doesn't understand that, obviously. Um, she may have seen a dog. She may have gotten cranky with her brother. And then she gets to that point where she's aggressive. And then sometimes we do have to get her away from the situation. Do you, now that I know about trigger stacking, I'd probably stop it before it got to that level. But say sometimes you're in that situation where you didn't realize, like sometimes when we're out and about, we're distracted, we might not realize that our cats had that trigger stacking happen. Do you have any suggestions on how we could move them or get them to safety without restraining them? Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's where I'd probably talk about similar techniques. So like, again, that target behavior is one of my favorite things. It's something we call the foundation behavior. So ideally, every animal would know it. And what I mean by foundation behavior is we use it it's fairly simple to teach. It can be used for a lot of things. And we use it to teach them a lot of other things easier. Um, so again, though, that's something you have to practice. Just like if you were to teach your dog to sit, and then people are like, he's not doing it at the vet hospital. He's dumb. First off, dogs aren't dumb. There's a lot more stimuli. And you taught it in one environment without distractions. <laughs> so you didn't really teach it up correctly. Um, your dog needs higher higher reinforcers at the vet, just like your cat would outside. Um, another thing besides the luring, because again, the luring and the targeting, I am a big fan of having a cat carrier or a cat backpack, as long as the cat is correctly trained to it. Because cat backpacks, I have a love-hate 
relationship with this because I often see people just throw their cat in the cat backpack and then the cat is in a chronic state of fear that can't escape and it's woo, pretty traumatizing. Um, so as long as you train it up and make it happy, like my cat loves their carrier. My cat loves their harness because I made it positive versus forcefully putting them in there. But I do think because we can't control everything that's outside, that's a really good point. Um, and even if we've worked on trying to get our cats through kitten kindergarten and socialization comfortable with all that stimuli, I'm fairly well socialized. And there's things outside that scare me because we can't control everything. So that's why I think having a carrier with you or again, like a backpack somewhere that your cat can retreat to a safe place when you're like, like, for example, you see a lovely person who doesn't have their dog on a leash. Isn't that fun? That's so fun. Um, and that's, I, I love dogs, but that's not safe. So if I saw that before, I'm like, hey, friends, we're going to end the cat's train to go in the carrier. We're going to go in your carrier and we're going to go the other way. <laughs> or we're going to cover this up and we're going to just hang out over here until that lovely person walks by or whatever it may be. So you have some control because I can understand a cat panicking and running up a tree or something. That's normal behavior. So I think having a carrier or cat bag cat backpack that they've been trained to and having that if something in life does happen again a loose dog where someone especially at a park people do that all the time not the safest thing you can't control everybody but you're like okay my cat's going to be safe we're good so those are a few recommendations that's a really good point and one thing you really you said really stood out so we do clicker training at home Yay. i've tried to do fist bumps so we've got two cats. We've got one who's a lot more into paw work and then we've got another one who's more into jumping and agility kind of stuff. Um, we, I've tried it like once, one of every so often when we've been out and about, but I think we need to m try harder to do it more often, like to get them used to using that clicker and understanding the target stick while we're out and about. Because with the backpack, it, we've kind of got to the point where it's very easy. They see it on the ground. They know they go in. Like that's pretty easy. But that target stick, behavior I think is important and I think as you were talking I was like we should start like we would harness training we should start with clicker training them in like a quiet area that's outside and then as slowly increase the amount of stimuli in there as well because that will get them used to not getting distracted and pay attention yeah. to yeah and it's just like with humans if I'm going to study for example when I was studying for my vet tech test I used to go to coffee shops ahaha uh I don't know what I was thinking. There were children. I love children, but there were lots of sounds. There was no way in heck I was going to actually retain anything. So then I was like, I have to study at home in a quiet place. So when you're first teaching your cat, if you're clicker training your cats, if you're first teaching them a behavior, like you mentioned, I'm going to start, I have five cats and a dog and a human husband. I'm going to start in a quiet room with that cat on their own. And then, like, now I'm at a point, because I train my cats and dog all the time, we can train all together, but I'm also a clicker trainer, so it's a lot easier. Training multiple animals at once can be a difficult thing. And then I might, like you said, I might work up with my to my deck, then to the grass, then to the front yard, then at the vet. So, like you said, we're practicing with all of, we're adding on those distractions, and I'm and if my cat doesn't do it, I know it's not them being stubborn or spiteful because I love humans, but those are human emotions. Those aren't cat emotions. It's what's going on. Oh, there's a truck outside. Oh, my rate of reinforcement is really slow. Because if I'm working at a vet or like, for example, if you're outside with your cat, 
you you should for just like lure the cat out and then reinforce the cat repeatedly quickly for staying in front of you for stationing people are like the cat's not doing anything i'm like you know how hard it is to sit here with in front of you with all this stuff going on um and stationing and stimulus control obviously are really important things for cats and a lot of cats don't get taught those things so those are really good observations that you made and the point there just to link it all back is that once you build it up and get these um you know behaviors reinforced through around different stimuli and as you move from a quiet place to a more you know loud place or a, a different place outside with different stimuli then like for example with target stick practice with clicker training then you could do that as a, and you could call upon that as a tool when you get stuck in those situations where the cat is in a you know it's small tiny space that you're trying to get them out of and you can use that target stick to get them out and have them sit in front of you the whole time while you know you've got dogs barking around you or you're in a park and whatever and if they're sitting there in front of you and not doing anything that's a that's a win that's a big win for me <laughs> if, if if you've got dogs chasing around you've got birds chirping you've got trucks going by you've got people around like if they're just sitting in front of you with a tar- with a target stick because of the target stick practice wow i'd love that and yeah it just makes the point that that's a tool and toolkit that people can use to assist and not have to go down the scruffing road and so i think that's the point that you know you try to link all that together and that's how it can help but it does take practice and it's not going to happen overnight that you just get out there and if you've never taught them then that it's never it's not going to work very well so, so it's about building them up and yeah using that in a in a very um beneficial way yeah, being consistent. I mean, it's the same with our behavior. The cool thing is animals and humans all learn the same. So it's all about being consistent and being, again, predictable and consistent helps cats be less stressed. And when it comes to veterinary procedures on my own cats at home, if I'm doing, because I do a lot of things at home as a vet tech, if I'm giving subcutaneous fluids or if I'm giving an Adequan injection, which is a a supplement that is given for pain management as part of a pain management protocol. My cat is trained to go to a station. So go to a mat and she, she's trained to go to the mat. Good things have happened on the mat. So if you've ever heard of that reference for kids, fill their cup with good things. Most cat's cups are negative. (laughs) They're broken. Um, So for example, I give my cat a treat on the mat every day. I teach my cat to go to a mat. And then even if I maybe poke the cat with a a needle, which I'm going to use topical lidocaine. I'm going to warm up the fluids. Again, all of these things to make it as low stress as I could. If the cat's like, oh, that was a little weird, they're going to quickly return to baseline because their history on that mat is really good stuff. And again, I I don't restrain them at all. They I give them a licky mat and they eat whipped cream in front of the while I give them their injections. So I think sometimes we actually make it more harder on ourselves because if you just allow the cat to be cats and not manipulate them and physically restrain them understandably and allow them to play a part in their care and have choice. Like, oh, I went to this mat and I got some treats. Mom touched me in the shoulder. I kept eating treats. Mom slightly tented my skin. I kept eating treats. Mom gave me an injection and then started rubbing where she gave the injection. That was the injection. And then the cat's still eating. So that's a lot of what I do where 
a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, how did you do that? And I'm like, you'd be surprised when you actually observe a cat's body language and give them the chance. Because I say with scruffing them, we're kind of proving them guilty before innocent. We're just like, kind of like if you were at the nurse getting your blood drawn and you were already nervous and then bars went up on your chair, you would go from green to red instantly. And that's what doing a scruff is because you're kind of limiting their control. So that's why they go to the red so quickly versus, hey, here's some treats. Cool. I'm going to lure you out of your carrier with a treat or you could just chill there. Here's some treats. I'm going to use considered approach. So I'm going to come to you from the side and not full frontal, which is terrifying. I'm not going to scream. I'm not going to make quick movements, which for me, if you know me, I make quick movements and I'm very loud. When I'm around animals, I am completely different because <laughs> that's scary. Um, but when you do all these things, cats will just be like, cool. And then the cats aren't running when I'm done working with them. They're not running into the carrier that they were terrified to get into. I don't think people understand the the impact of what's going on. Your cat, you brought your cat to the vet. They were terrified to go in the carrier, which we could happily train them to go in the carrier. But they were terrified to go in the carrier. As soon as the vet is done touching them, they run back into the place they were terrified to go. That's a pretty strong message. Um Usually the cats that I'm working with choose to stay where they are, which to me that I'm like, cool, this is a win. Like you're, I didn't make you run in fear. Um, even though I may have done, again, I'm not saying vaccines and things are always pleasant, but there's a lot we can do that even if there's subtle unpleasantries, they can return to baseline or a place where they're relaxed and back to eating. They might stop eating for a second during the poke, but, and stiffen up a small amount and maybe give me a lip lick or a subtle displacement behavior. But then within two seconds, they're back to eating and their body is softened. Wow, that's so interesting. We actually have our monthly revolution day tomorrow. So maybe <laughs> instead of running around the apartment chasing the cats, which has become the game, oh, maybe there's some things that we can try there. <laughs> Use yeah, the so yeah. Medication training is one of my favorite things. So my cats go to a mat when I cue meds. Um, and they happily take their meds without me touching them. I'm not saying I'm against touch. We would work up to touch if that's needed. It's just in most cases, they just eat it from the syringe um, because I've made it positive. So in that case, since it's tomorrow, we can't do much. But what you could do, like you said, is, hey, I'm going to give you, like, your husband can be there with a licky mat and with treats at a high rate of reinforcement, which means giving them quickly because this is something that is going to be done tomorrow. So we don't have time to work on long-term and the cat, you give the revolution and then you can even start to throw the treats. So after my one cat gets meds, I throw three kibbles because the, you know, chasing it is fun. So medication time is game time for her. And if it's game time, who doesn't love it? Right. Yeah. And then you could always start working on teaching your cat to go to a mat, giving, finding a good treat for them and keeping them at where it is and giving it to them around the same time every day. That's how I start my medication training because half of the battle with meds is my clients are trying to find the cat because the, the cat's picking up on their weird <laughs> cues. And then by the time the cat and the caregiver find each other, both anim animals, technically, yes, both animal and human are over threshold. And the rest, to be frank, is a blank show. It's not great. So when you train them to go, like, for example, picking a high value reinforcer, picking like a bath mat. I love bath mats and yoga mats because they're comfortable. 
and then giving your cat a treat once or twice around the same time, your cat will just start going there. So that's half the battle within seven to 10 days usually. And then we could start working on, now I'm gonna put some licky stuff on the syringe and place it down. Now I'm gonna suck up the licky stuff, like the whipped cream or churro, and have you eat from the syringe. It's this beautiful thing. And I suppose that works with brushing their teeth as well. Yeah, so that's, we would break it down into small behaviors. So for example, if I was going to teach a cat to have their teeth brushed and they're eight or nine, so to be honest, most of their experiences with mouth touching probably haven't been positive or they may even have some dental disease because dental disease is really common in cats as a source of pain that's often missed. Um, so I might start with something like, so usually I'd, I'd start, just an example, I'd start with like squeeze cheese or whipped cream and I would maybe touch, because most of our cats are comfortable with us touching their face. Now, if they aren't, we'd break that down more, but I would touch their mouth, give them a lick of squeeze cheese, touch their mouth and move their lip up, give them a lick of squeeze cheese put my finger in their mouth or use a Q-tip to start um, with cheese and rub their teeth with cheese. Then I would work on like a finger. I'm a fan of the finger toothbrushes instead of those large, those things are just weird. And then you could be like, okay, I'm gonna brush your teeth on one side, um, up and down with cheese, and then give you another treat separately because the cheese is replacing the toothpaste. And then, Again, you could start to put that toothpaste in there and your cat's fine with brushing their teeth. But we broke it down into small. Now, sometimes those small steps can be done quickly, but the problem is most of us jump ahead and we undo all that cool stuff that we worked on because we're like, she was fine with me touching her face. So now I'm going to get a toothbrush and put and go full frontal and put toothpaste on it and stick it in her face and scruff her. Okay, you jumped a lot of steps. Um, I understand why your cat isn't handling it. But when we break it down into small, more realistic steps where they could be successful, because just jumping in with a toothbrush when your cat's showing fearful behavior, we're not really setting that cut up for success. By breaking it into small behaviors, they tend to do a lot better because we're giving them realistic things that they can work on. And that's a lot of what cooperative care training is, where basically I train the cat to give me their paw for the, a cephalic blood draw. Like they play a part in their care. It's pretty cool. That is very cool. <laughs> you mentioned with the teeth cleaning, for example, that normally this is something that you need to do with cats who are a little bit older, eight or nine years old. Along that point, with this approach, do you find that yeah, there's yeah, does it work well or easily to try and change the behaviors of older cats or is this an, a younger cat only thing? What's... What's your um, experience been like? That's a great question. So with kittens, there's a key socialization period, which is very short. So it's two to seven weeks. And then in kitten kindergarten, kitten socialization, we can do up to 14 weeks. So at that two to seven week point, the cat is experiencing, hey, I'm bonding with my mom and my dad and my siblings. Things scare me, but I don't care. Um, and then after that period, Fear becomes a default, which is part of life because I don't want I don't want them to run into a bear and be like, I have no fear or run into a car. Um, but when they're that young, which is why kitten socialization is so important, it's hey, I'm just gonna play some music or play some baby crying sounds low and give you treats. It's so easy to form positive associations, which a lot of people don't do. Now, when they're older, you can definitely always change behavior. 
It's just if, for example, there's past trauma similar to humans, that means we have to use some other behavior modification techniques like counter conditioning and desensitization. But most of the cats I work with, before they meet me, they are so terrified of the carrier. If the client just picks it up, they run, which is pretty severe fear. And what we do is, okay, so I'm like, that's your baseline. Your cat's terrified of the cat carrier or the car. So with desensitization and counter conditioning, it's partially breaking that behavior up into small points. So counter conditioning, classical counter conditioning is just a, a fun behavior word to change the animal's emotional state towards a stimuli. So for example, you can't just tell me to not be to not be afraid of roller coasters. I don't like roller coasters. It, you need you can't just say tap that you're not afraid of them. I am going to tell you yes I am. That did not work. Um, so when it comes to fear, like if your cat has fear to a stimuli, which it happens, that's when we're going to use counter conditioning and then something called desensitization, which is basically a decrease of the emotional response to the stimulus after gradual exposure. So I'm going to start at a point where the cat is showing no or minimal signs of stress. And then I'm going to pair it with good stuff. So usually we use classical counter conditioning and desensitization together. Because for example, if I was like, your cat's afraid of their teeth, their face being touched or their teeth being brushed, which all of that's part of it. And I just am like, I'm going to start with putting the toothbrush in their mouth, but I'm going to pair it with treats. I didn't start at a non-stressful point. So that didn't start or end on a positive note. So I actually just increased the negative association. So for a cat that's fearful of teeth brushing, since that's the, the, uh, the example we had, I would start with training the cat to station because it's really easy. So having them be comfortable, let's station to the mat so they go to a place so I don't have to chase them like we talked about. And so they have a choice in that. And then I may, I'm going to write a plan. And again, we may jump steps or, or make those steps harder or bigger in between as we're watching the cat. But to start, it's going to be placing hand over head, treat, placing hand on head, treat, placing hand on head with thumb towards mouth, treat, uh, lifting lip up, treat, brushing one side of the, the mouth, treat. And it sounds like a lot, but when it comes to fear, I can't just say, don't be afraid of spiders. And if I put you in a room full of spiders, that's something we call flooding, which unfortunately is something I see happen with cats a lot. Um, if I throw you in a room full of spiders, not only are you still going to be afraid of spiders, but your fear of spiders will do something we call generalize. So you may see a black speck of dust and you're going to feel that same fight or flight response that you feel when you see spiders. So if I was just like, I'm just going to bring the toothbrush in and get it done. Okay. You just flooded that cat. So now she might even start to generalize the person that brushed my teeth is scary. So that's really why we need to kind of use counter conditioning and desensitization and go at a pace. And that's the other thing. When I lecture, some people I'm like, okay, we'll start with the spider in a cage a hundred feet away. Some people aren't comfortable with that because everyone's learning history is different. Some people will be like, let's start with a stuffed spider because I need to start at a non-stressful point. And then when their heart rate and respiratory rate and blood pressure is normal, they're not sweating, they're not showing signs of stress, I'm going to give them something they like. Some people, when I lecture, 
$500 every time they look at that spider is not enough because again, we all have different learning histories. So that's another thing, finding the right reinforcers for your cat and working with that individual cat. This human, I'm going to approach differently. I don't work with humans, but it's just a good analogy. And then with this cat, like I'm doing cooperative care with eye drops with a client right now. I wrote eight steps. She, the first session, she went up to the fourth step. But we have to go at a pace the cat's comfortable with and not jump ahead, which is, as humans, I know we love things right now, but right now does not work <laughs> in most cases. Instant gratification. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is it is possible to change these fear behaviors in older cats that it does just take some, you know, some time and some steps to work through and build up to it. And that you mentioned there's a couple of different science-based training methods. So you've got counter conditioning and desensitization. There's also positive reinforcement. Yeah. Can you just, um, maybe it's just me, but you just redefine the counter conditioning and the desensitization again and link that back to the step that you're talking about with brushing your teeth. So is the one where you, for example, where you hover over your your hand over it and treat, is that the counter conditioning or desensitization or neither? So that's, that's good. So since that would be a little bit of both, um, the spider analogy is a little easier um, because the non-stressful point, because some people might, your cat might be okay with touching their head. But some cats, if you touch their face, because they might have chronic eye issues, again, all of these things, and they might have had their eyes medicated and traditionally restrained a lot. So sometimes I might even start with the hand just going like this. So not even like at my neck and not over the cat's head, because we want to start at a non-stressful point. So that's the desensitization, starting at a place the cat is comfortable, or again, start the spider starting at a distance in a cage where that human is not showing signs of fear or stress. And then the counter conditioning is pairing it with something that human or cat likes and having them look at it, for example. Okay, you look at the, you look at the spider, you get 500 bucks. And then we would slowly over time, based on how that cat is doing or human, we would have them go closer and closer to the spider. Or like with the cat, with the teeth brushing, I would work up to eventually putting my hand in their mouth. But if I started that, that was not a non-stressful point. So basically it's the process of exposing an animal to a stimulus beginning at a very low intensity and counter conditioning and desensitization are used together to be effective and to change behavior because people are like, the cat should be fine or the cat shouldn't be aggressive. Um, most cats are aggressive due to fear and or pain. And you can't just tell a cat to stop being scared. We need to work on behavior modification and and work on changing their emotional strength. Like inner cat aggression is something I commonly deal with. And there's that's a whole heavy thing to unpack. But a lot of what we do in involving other things too, but we use a lot of counter conditioning and desensitization to rebuild those relationships. Because if that cat always gets attacked by that cat, understandably, that cat does not feel positive. And that cat might even generalize that to the point where they're withdrawn now all the time. Like, I know he chases and bites me at five and seven, but I am so conflicted and concerned that I'm just going to live under the bed now. 
So I see stuff like that. And that's where, again, we start to use these counter conditioning and desensitization protocols. Right. Got it. And I just want to pick up on a point that you made as well in that with any advice, it's got to be specific to your cat in that you can get general advice. And this is, you know, some of this is general advice, especially over the internet. But, you know, your cat may be okay with patting their head or not. Your cat may be, you know, happy for you to touch their face, but they sometimes may not be because they've got that skin condition or eye condition. So these steps and these approaches will need to be tailored to be specific to your cat and their conditions. And just like us, like some people may be okay with a splatter a kilometer away. Some people can't even stand the thought of that and have to even start further further back. Um, it just yeah differs and varies for people as it does for cats. And that's a really good point. And usually counter conditioning, classical counter conditioning and desensitization, those are more advanced behavior modification techniques. Because like you said, it can be hard to know, did my cat like that? Because again, body language is misinterpreted a lot. And if you can't read that really, really well, it's really easy to accidentally go to the next step. Um, kind of like when people commonly feed their cats, like they're like, I want my cats to get along. I'm going to feed them on both sides of the gate. That's something that's on the internet a lot. Um, and again, I love the concept, but what part is being missed is usually the cats are showing signs of stress. They're displacement behaviors, which are normal behaviors, but taken out of context. So like your cat is yawning, but didn't just wake up. They're averting their gaze. They're grooming. Um, again, those are more subtle stress behaviors, but if they're exhibiting like eight of those in 30 seconds, that we're doing, we're actually, what we're actually doing is flooding. The only way you eat is if you're scared and uncomfortable and conflicted. So that even when it comes to the gate stuff with the cats, usually people jump ahead and have the cats right next to each other way too soon. And they actually are flooding the cats. And then the cats are like, so I either get to eat, I can eat, but I have to be in a chronic state of stress. And then we have other, because if you have, if you're in a chronic state of stress, when you're doing your daily functions, like using the bathroom and eating, which I commonly see in homes where clients reach out for help, um, obviously that could bleed out to other, that could bleed out to like generalized anxiety and, and other issues. So when it comes to those things, it's definitely recommended to work with a certified professional to start so you can have coaching because it's so hard to know when to go to the next step. That's great advice. So Speaking of advice, we're actually coming up towards the end of our podcast, but before we let you go, we actually want to ask you our final four questions that we ask all our guests. And the first one is, what is one piece of advice you'd give to new cat explorers? Learn body language really, really well. I'm a vet tech, and I say this all the time. I barely was taught anything about it. So if I'm a vet tech and I was barely taught, most of us, don't know much. We know the growl and the hiss and the bite, but that is what we call uh, at the top of the ladder of aggression. That cat exhibits a lot of other signs telling us they're uncomfortable. So there's a lot of great free resources out there about body language. I share a lot of stuff on my social medias. So the biggest thing of advice I can give is listen to your cat. Listen to your cat so they don't have to scream because screaming is biting, but that means they had no choice. So learn body language and respect and listen to your cat. That's the biggest piece. Yes. And <laughs> what's been the, I totally agree with you with that. that. 
What's been the most entertaining comment someone has said to you about cat behavior? Hmm. That's hard. Entertaining. So it's probably a positive thing. <laughs> it can be negative too, but <laughs> we can spin it to a positive. <laughs> so probably one of the most negative, there's a lot of stereotypes about cats and I've heard silly, silly things like they're dominant, they're mysterious. They're spiteful, all these horrible stereotypes. I love my cat people, but mostly cat people are the ones saying them. Um, so I think all of those are, are. it's interesting to see people's perspectives of cats, um, to hear they're spiteful. Again, all of these horrible things that we hear that actually results in people's behavior towards their cats being negative. Um, so I would probably say, all of the silly cat stereotypes I hear. Cats aren't mysterious. They aren't aloof, guys. They aren't spiteful. Um, and do your and they're not a-holes. That's another thing. <laughs> if I hear that one more time, you guys, um, you could talk to your significant other if you're venting, but I don't want to see if I see one more meme and a grumpy cat meme, another thing. Grumpy cats are usually painful cats. Like I see undiagnosed pain in more than 50% of my consults. Um, so that was a long answer, but yeah, all of those silly stereotypes about cats that are being spread by awesome cat people, just don't do that anymore, guys. Spread how smart cats are. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I've, one of my biggest things is that we don't, society doesn't see what cats are capable of because of all those stereotypes, which can be so frustrating. So I completely agree. So who, human or cat, in the cat space inspires you? I have a few. They're all amazing people that have done a lot in the feline behavior and medicine um, areas. So Kristen Patel, who does a lot of cat cognition research, she's amazing. She is M-A-U-E-Y-E-S on Instagram. And my other three don't have social media handles. Um, but Dr. Sarah Ellis and John Bradshaw, if you want to learn more about cats, read The Trainable Cat or any book by John Bradshaw. Um, he's amazing and he's done so much for cats. And then lastly, Dr. Tony Buffington, who is a veterinarian, who I get emotional when I talk about him because he has done so much for cats um, when it comes to chronic cystitis and these urinary issues cats have. He's done a lot of research on something called Pandora syndrome because behavior is medicine. Um, and usually the medical care for cats with chronic cystitis is important. But if we're not also treating the environment and decreasing stress, he's one of the first people to talk about such a thing. And now it's getting well known, but he's honestly my all-time hero, honestly. <laughs> he's amazing. Final question. What product? service or program has been a game changer for cat behavior management so fear free is pretty amazing they have fear free shelters so if you are a shelter volunteer or employee you get the certification for free so there's no reason to not do it um, and then they also have fear free happy homes which is a free service for the general public and they have lots of great articles that are up-to-date and science-based so not, not that I don't love blogs and stuff, but you never know what you're getting from that. Um, so that's a great resource. And then also Cat Positive, which is 
uh, organization I work for as a trainer mentor. It's through the Jackson Galaxy uh, Foundation program. And basically what we do is we go into shelters and teach them all about feline body language, how to handle and manage common behavior issues as well as prevent them and all about how to clicker train cats. And I'm so proud to be a part of that program. We want it in every shelter. I have big dreams. It'll happen. It will happen. It will happen. <laughs> so Tabitha, thank you so much for joining us today. We've learned so much. Where can we find you and Chirps and Chatter online? Thank you so much for having me. You can find me at Chirps and Chatter on Instagram, at Chirps and Chatter on Facebook, my website, chirpsandchatter.com. And then I also recently started a YouTube and I already have a few free webinars up there that you could watch at your pleasure, as well as some fear-free handling and some other fun stuff like puzzle toys and things like that. So we'll put those links and any other links from today's episode in the show notes available at catexplorer.co forward slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. Did you know that leaving a review for the Cat Explorer podcast helps to continue this podcast? The review helps us to find sponsors who help fund this podcast. So it would mean the world to us if you could leave a review wherever you listen and we'll read it out on a future episode. Thank you so much for being a part of the Cat Explorer community. That's it for today. We'll catch you next time. In the meantime, enjoy giving your kitty the world. Bye.